0: So the older that I get, the more I realize that us human beings, we're not exactly rational creatures. Now, I don't even know the definition of rational, but in my mind, it's just like the things that we like or don't like, the things we do or don't do, they don't always make sense. Am I right? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Are there things that you are passionate about that are sort of irrational I'll, I'll uh, first of all, I'll ask, please, no husbands use this in an argument this week, okay? Don't put your arm around your wife and be like, honey, Pastor David did say you might be irrational, okay? Don't do that. I'll tell on myself a little bit here. In college, I had an irrational, I recognize that now, I had a problem. I had an irrational love for intramural flag football, it was insane. I, My parents are here. I don't know that I cared about school for at least a year in college. I cared about flag football. Me and my roommates would stay up at night drawing plays. We would have practices. Uh, we would go during freshman week to the gym and to the intramural fields and scout freshmen and then try to bribe them onto our flag football team. It was irrational, our love for flag football, but we're not rational, are we? And sometimes, that's not a bad thing. Otherwise, I mean, who would listen to country music? Who would have a cat as a pet if we're, come on. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, We're not totally rational. I was reading this article this week about irrational fears, and I read three that stuck with me. Uh, Oh, man, these are good. The first one was this article talked about, and I'd never heard of any of these, omphalophobia. Omphalophobia. These are real fears that people have, and they get treated for, but this one is a fear of belly buttons. (laughs) People will put Band-Aids or tape over their own belly button because they don't want to see it. That's omphalophobia. Other people, I have seen this one, nomophobia. Nomophobia. This is, uh, this is not a fear of ex-Dodgers pitching sensation Hideo Nomo. <laughs> I knew only like five of you would understand that joke. This is actually a fear of being without your mobile phone. Like people start to get irrationally afraid. Something bad's going to happen. I don't have my phone. Or this one I've seen, every junior high camp. It's a blutophobia, a fear of bathing or showering. (laughs) I can tell you, I had an irrational fear getting into ministry. My irrational fear, and I I only have ever told this to a couple of guys this morning out in the lobby. Uh, My irrational fear was that I would run out of things to preach or teach about. It's like, well, what if I get like five years in and I don't have anything else to talk about? Well, let me tell you, My fear of that is gone as we enter into this last chapter in the book of John. Because I looked back, it was in September of 2020 that we started John chapter 1. Now, let me just give you guys an idea. This is how much Bible we've gone over in the last two years. (laughs) There is plenty more to come. I, I am so thankful I'm so grateful and thankful, and I think it's important to take a moment and just acknowledge, I am grateful that Pastor Travis took us down this path of teaching verse by verse, chapter by chapter through scripture. My heart has been blessed. I have been challenged. I have learned, and I hope, well, I'm confident that that's true of you guys as well. Amen? Amen. And so I just want to recognize Pastor Travis for doing that. I'm so grateful for it. But as we enter into this last chapter of the book of John and the last month of our Messiah series. Man, I'm excited uh, for us to read here. John chapter 21, starting in verse 1. Follow along on the screens. If you have your phone or a Bible, good luck. There's no lights in here. But uh, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were all together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, I guess we'll go with you. So they went out, they got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. And just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus'. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And the disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. Totally rational, by the way. And the other disciples just came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they really weren't that far from the land, but just about 100 yards off. And when they got on that land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Now, this passage... In John chapter 21, I, I like how it starts out because it starts out by telling us that Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples. And what that tells us is that Jesus, after his resurrection, he was in and he was out. He was with his disciples, but then there were also these times where he was no longer with his disciples. And as I studied this passage, I realized that this time that John describes is really a unique time time in the history of the church. You see in John chapter 20, they were all in Jerusalem and Thomas, doubting Thomas, we we talked about that unfair nickname. Thomas has, Jesus has just appeared to Thomas after he had already appeared to the other disciples. Jesus appears to Thomas and, and then we see the disciples up in Galilee. All right. So from Jerusalem to Galilee, and there's this gap of time. We don't know what that timeline is between those two meetings. And the other gospels describe this time a little bit differently. So we don't know exactly what that looks like. But it's safe to say that some time has elapsed between the time when the disciples were last with Jesus and the time that they got all the way up to Galilee are waiting around and decide, well, let's just go fishing. Now, I've read the Bible a lot. But as I studied this, I noticed something that I'd never noticed before. Did you know, and some of you, you can rub this in later if you want, three times in the gospel of Matthew, Jesus tells his disciples that after the resurrection, they're supposed to go up to Galilee and he'll meet them there. Did you know that? Three times Jesus tells them, after I get resurrected, I want you to go. So he's... He's crucified in Jerusalem. He's buried in Jerusalem. He raised from the dead in Jerusalem. But before that happens, Jesus tells him three times, go up to Galilee after I'm raised from the dead. And where do we find the disciples after Jesus? In Jerusalem. So finally, finally, they're back up in Galilee. Somebody, I'm assuming it was one of the the women uh, reminded them, he kept, he told you go to Galilee. I don't know why you guys are still waiting here. <laughs> Finally, they're back up there, but they're still waiting. They're still waiting on Jesus. Now, as I studied this passage, I started to think, well, where is Jesus like in these in-between times? Is he like hiding in the woods See behind a rock at the Jordan River, just like peeking out, watching them. What is Jesus doing during this time? Because this is a very unique time. The Holy Spirit isn't yet here on earth. Jesus hasn't yet resurrected or, or ascended, rather, full time to be with God in heaven. And it seems that at this time, Jesus is going back and forth between heaven and earth to be with the Father and then to be with his disciples until he sends the promised Holy Spirit to come. And so the disciples are left in Galilee waiting and wondering. I can imagine the questions. Where where is Jesus? Are we in the right spot? Did Did we hear him right? Am I doing the right thing here? Man, what is going on? What is taking so long? Jesus, where are you? Do any of these questions sound familiar to you? today, Jesus, you know what I'm going through here, Lord. Where are you? Jesus, I'm facing this tough decision. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do here. Where where are you? Jesus, I'm struggling. I, I am at my wit's end. I don't know what to do anymore. Jesus, where are you? John is describing for us, for the first time, for the history of the church, the new reality that we face, which is that Jesus will no longer walk beside us, physically present. And so the disciples decide to go fishing. I mean, that's what they do after all. They were fishermen. They go back to the very boats and the nets that they had left behind years earlier when Jesus called them away and said, come and follow me. Let me show you how to fish for something else. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, have you be the ones who declare to the world that Messiah is here. But now that Jesus is gone and they're not sure what to do, they just go back to those nets. And it's been a frustrating night, <laughs> frustrating to say the least, uh, they they continually all night long. It says they're casting their nets into the water and they come up empty. Now, how many of you? I want to see a, a raising of hands here. How many of you like fishing? Do we have any fishermen in here? Now, keep your hands up if you like fishing. How many of you like fishing and not catching anything the entire time? It's awful. It's the worst thing ever to go fishing and not catch anything. And they're so frustrated. And they know these waters. They've been fishing these waters for their entire life. These guys are experts. They know where to go, what to use, how to do it. And nothing is working. Nothing is working. But then, but then they hear a voice call out across the water. After days of waiting, after an A fruitless night of fishing, that voice calls to them, children, do you have any fish? And the disciples answered, and I want to know what this this sounded like. But my guess is it sounded like, no, we don't have any fish. We've been here all night long. We don't have any fish. And then the voice calls back out, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you're going to find some. And so they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Church, this morning, we, we as a church body, we worship in spirit and in truth. Okay. And so what that means is I want to encourage you as we dig into this passage, I've got three points for today. There's a lot of notes that you can be taking. I want you to pull out your phones, pull out your notebooks. I want you to take some notes here. And then we're going to take those to our small groups and we're going to discuss those notes. We're going to talk about how they apply to our lives. How can we apply this scripture to our lives? So are you guys ready this morning to jump right in? All right. Point number one today is when it comes to following Jesus, We simply can't do it on our own. See, nothing changed for those disciples until they heard the voice of Jesus calling. It didn't matter how hard they had tried to catch fish. It didn't matter how experienced they were. It didn't matter how gifted they were. It didn't matter all their expertise and their knowledge. Until they had the power of Jesus working, they weren't able to catch a thing. And the same is true for us in our walk with Christ today. It truly doesn't matter how much willpower that you have or how gifted you are, or how knowledgeable or experienced or strong or confident you might be. To be effective in our spiritual walk, to be affected in the things of God, you actually have to rely on the power of God. And I know that this is a, a, an interesting point to make, and it might be sort of hard to understand, but I want you to imagine, okay, a, a group of people who all gather together in, in one venue, in one place. And what they do is they stand and they sing songs and they raise their hands and they celebrate. And then that night they, they go home and they talk about what they experienced. Now, with the power of God, that's a church. Without the power of God, that's a concert. We could work And work to to build a building, to create systems, to to have teams, to have the best first-time guest experience, to say the right things or the right words. But unless we are animated by the actual power of God in our lives, then we will be ineffective in the things that God calls us to do. I cannot stand up here and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in power without the power of God. Someone who does not believe in Jesus could walk up here and read my notes. But without the power of God, that's a different thing. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? And so many times we want to do things on our own. And in many instances we can. If I want to get rich, I don't need the power of God to get rich. I just need a great idea and a lot of hard work ethic and some luck, right? If I want to be well-liked or admired, I don't necessarily need the power of God. If I want gratification in this life, there's always Dairy Queen. Like That's instant. It's delicious. But if I want to overcome a sin in my life, I need God's power. If I want to truly love my enemy, I need the power of God. I can't do that on my own. It's this terrible myth. And it's something that I see us fall into so often that you just need to try harder. Just try harder, be better. And what I want you to see is, what you need is God's power. You may have felt like you are working and working and working to be better, to do better. But I want you to try something new. I want to encourage you, instead of just working harder, I want you to daily find time to stop and listen for the voice of God. Man, I think that we are in desperate need of quiet time with our Bibles open and our ears open and our hearts open. I think we're in desperate need of hearing that voice of Jesus calling out across the water. The Holy Spirit is speaking, but it's rarely in a roar. In my experience, God's voice is something that needs quiet. And to hear God's voice, we're going to need times of stillness. And to listen and to learn to recognize God's voice, that time of stillness and quiet needs to be consistent. You need to have your your Bibles open and your heart open, and you need to be asking, Holy Spirit, teach me. What it is that you want me to, to know. Let me hear the voice of God right now. Holy Spirit, give me your power in this thing that you ask me to do today. And I promise you, I promise you, when you start doing this, point number two becomes applicable. You're going to experience frustrating seasons. I am so sorry I disappointed you. <laughs> That is such a hard truth, but how many of you guys, when, when it, the moment you feel like you're getting some momentum in your spiritual walk, feel like just the world collapses on you? How many of you have experienced that? I want you to raise your hands. Look around right now. The moment that you feel like that you're getting some momentum in your life, you feel like everything seems to start going wrong. I can remember learning this lesson in seminary. Me and Jarrah had just gotten married. I was making seven bucks an hour, working at a golf course, early mornings, cutting uh, cutting greens, and um, I was in seminary full-time, spring, summer, fall, five classes each of those semesters. That's a lot of work. Uh, I was also a pastor for the very first time at a church And I'm telling you, I was obeying the voice of God. I was doing all of this because I I wanted to to reach people for the gospel. I wanted to be prepared for what God had for me in the future. I wanted to be able to plant churches and evangelize and, and grow leaders and make disciples and reach this world for Jesus Christ. And I can remember that it was during that time that my $500 car go figure had a huge mechanical problem. It broke down and I took it to the shop and they were like, yeah, this is gonna be like 1500 bucks. All right, and so as I drove home in my stupid car, <laughs> I got out and apparently I hadn't zipped my backpack right because my laptop just fell out onto the parking lot, landed right on the corner of it, shattered the screen. My only computer for all my seminary work. In that same week, as I was walking back to my stupid car with my broken laptop, <laughs> I, I was patting my pockets, and, and I realized, oh shoot, my wallet's gone. And I had somehow ripped a hole in my back pocket, my wallet fell out in the cafeteria. And so, uh, of course, I just went back. This is a Christian, it's seminary, right? It's a Christian graduate school. So I I went back to the cafeteria where I'd last sat down and it was gone. And somebody was spending money on my debit card, like hot topic. Who's, I mean, come on. And I remember calling Jared and just saying like, what the heck is, what is going on? Everything that can go wrong is starting to go wrong we're trying so hard to serve Jesus, I'm following and obeying his voice and nothing is going right. And then you look in scripture and you see what happened on Paul's missionary journeys. You see what happened with the Old Testament prophets. They went through these seasons where they obeyed God's voice and all that caused them was frustrating and difficult seasons. For days, for weeks, for months and even years At a time, these disciples are following Jesus. They went back to Galilee, and they're waiting around, and they've got nothing. They hear nothing. And then they go fishing, and they catch nothing. Imagine the frustration. And you might be feeling that way right now. You might feel like you've been following the voice of Jesus. You've been inviting your friends to church. You've been asking them to come to small group. You've been trying to share truth, and you get nothing. It's brick wall after brick wall after brick wall. You might feel like, man, me and my wife... Ever since, it seems like ever since we've sat down at the beginning of the month and we've, we've written out our 10% tithe check, it seems like we've got nothing but unexpected bills in our life. You might have been praying for that relative or that family member for years at this point to have their heart open to the truth of the gospel, the power of Jesus Christ. You might have been praying for years and years and years and nothing is happening What is it that the kids say? The struggle is real. It's how it feels sometimes, man. I don't know that the kids actually say that. So I won't put, you, put that on you high schoolers. Here's what I do know. In John chapter 16, Jesus says this. In this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. And sometimes it's that voice of Jesus that I'm clinging to. Amen. Just take heart, David. I've got this. I've overcome this world. There's more. There's more than what you're seeing. There's more going on than you can understand here. Take heart. I went to Liberty University, and, and the man who founded Liberty University, his name's Jerry Falwell. He's kind of a controversial guy, but he was, man, he was a great preacher. And every year he would preach to the student body on, on week one, day one, whatever you want to call it, he would preach the same exact sermon. But it was a great sermon, so just, it was fine. He'd preach it every single year. And and it wasn't this massive theological truth. It wasn't this enlightening, like, man, mind-blowing thing that I'd never heard before. Do you know what he preached to us? What he preached to us every single year was this. Whatever God tells you to do, don't ever quit doing it. Don't stop. Don't quit. Don't ever, ever, ever give up. Whatever it is that God is telling you to do, whoever it is that God is telling you to pray for, whoever it is that you continue to pour into and invite and think about and pray for, don't stop doing the thing that God has asked you to do. Don't ever give up. If God has put this on your heart to be a missionary and it feels like you're getting door after door slammed in your face. Don't ever stop praying about that. Don't ever stop working for it. Don't give up. Brothers, don't quit that early morning time with Jesus when it gets hard. Don't don't quit when you don't hear God's voice for a little while. My sister in Christ, I know you're frustrated. Don't stop. Don't stop trying to listen for God's voice. Don't stop doing what God has asked you to do. A few months ago, I got up here and I talked about the mission that we all have to go and make disciples of all nations. I talked about how that mission is not just for one or two, but it's for all of us. Don't stop being about that mission. Don't give up when times get hard. Yes, there are seasons of frustration. And no, we cannot do these things on our own. But when you endure and when you follow after God and you continue to obey and you continue to serve, here's what I have found. More often than not, God will turn these seasons of frustration into fruitfulness. And man, oh man, when he does, is it sweet. I'm always struck by the biographies of these great, great, like, men of the Christian faith. I don't know how to say that exactly, but I, I read this story uh, of a man. He, he ran orphanages in um, England back in the, like, 17 and 1800s. His name's George Mueller. And this man had a prayer life that I mean, I'm super envious. I, he just prayed over everything. At one point, there was something like ten thousand orphans under his under his care, and he never once asked for money. He just prayed. And there are so many prayer answers recorded in his diaries after he was after he was dead and gone, and his family started looking through him. So many specific prayers that were answered. That it really, man, it it floors me. But one of the things and, and I don't remember the details exactly, but one of the things that people talked about is that he had this group of friends or people that he knew that he was praying for in his life to come to know Jesus. And he recorded these same prayers And for like, we'll just say it was four or five of them. I can't remember exactly. But the first one came to know the Lord after a couple of years of prayer. He was persistent in prayer for a couple of years. The second one, it was something like 10 years after he began praying and and witnessing. The third, it was over 20 years that he prayed and witnessed and didn't see fruitfulness. And then all of a sudden, they, they came to know the Lord. And then the last two, he never in this life got to see them come to know him, but both of them accepted Christ at his funeral. After 35 plus years of praying for them, brothers and sisters, I don't know when, but I do know that God is faithful. The promises of God are like money in the bank. You know, the truth is, Well, let's just read it in verse six. Jesus says, cast that net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some fish. And so the disciples cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. And that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. Now here's the truth in hindsight. There was a reason that those disciples weren't catching any fish that night. And we can look back now and know that Jesus was standing on the shore and he was about to do something incredible that we would be talking about thousands of years later, right? But there is just there's just no way that the disciples are pulling up empty net after empty net thinking, you know, God in his sovereignty is just making sure that I, you know, we don't catch any fish right now because he's going to do something incredible with this. But later on, they realize that truth right? Man, the church, Jesus, (laughs) the church has given so many promises. Us as believers are, scripture is filled with the promises of God, freedom from our sins, that God will provide for you, that he'll be with you, that he won't ever forsake or leave you, that he's going to work everything together for the good of those that are his. These are wonderful promises, but sometimes it just takes time. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3, there's this wonderful prophecy. The prophet Habakkuk, um, he's given this prophecy by God to give to the, um, the nation of Israel. He's given this specific vision. And he says this, for the vision, for still, the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end and it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it it will surely come. It will not delay. Now, this passage is about a specific vision, but I think that it speaks to a God who keeps his promises. If God has promised it in scripture, he will come through. Don't stop doing what God has called and asked for you to do. I often promise my kids things. I promise I'll go outside with you. I I promise I'll throw the ball with you. Like, I promise that you can have uh, some some pop after dinner. I promise we'll go to get dessert, right? Does anybody, can anyone identify with me in this? I promise. Now, my kids know that when I promise to do something, I will do that thing. I will. But, They're not always happy with how long it takes between when I make a promise and when I fulfill that promise. And so they just bug the junk out of me between (laughs) when I say I'm going to do something and when I actually do it. And the same is true with us. If God has promised it in scripture, don't stop. Don't give up. God will fulfill the promises. He will utilize our labors for his good and for his glory. Our problem is that we just want him to do these things right now. We want our friend to come to know him now. And when it doesn't happen, well, we just give up. We want our family member that we've been praying for over and over to just understand it now, understand the gospel now. But when it doesn't happen, we, we just give up. We, we need to be trusting and patient and humble. We need to be willing to follow and serve and give and share and preach and teach and love and turn the other cheek and wait and trust and wait and trust and never, ever, ever stop listening for that voice of God and never, ever, ever stop obeying. Do you pray with me this morning, Lord? We just thank you so much for all that you have done in our lives, God. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for the encouragement that Scripture gives to us, Father. That when, uh, when you make a promise, you will fulfill it. God, this morning I want to pray a prayer of encouragement over my brothers and sisters in here who are frustrated and in frustrating seasons. Holy Spirit, just give them, give them the the voice calling out to them, Lord, that you are pleased, that you are with them, that that you haven't left. God, for those who are going through a dry season spiritually, who feel like, Jesus, where are you? I'm waiting and I'm waiting. God, I ask that you will break through, that they will hear your voice, that they'll experience your presence. And God, I pray that as a church body, your bride that you have purchased with your blood, that you are sanctifying, that you are making into your image. God, that as your bride, that we would be on your mission, that we would be obedient to you. God, that we won't be Distracted, that we won't be dismayed, that we won't be frustrated when things don't happen in the timing that we want them to happen, but instead, God, that we will hear your voice, that we will obey, and that we won't ever, ever, ever give up because this world needs you, Jesus. We need your hope, we need your forgiveness, we need to be reconciled to God once again, Lord. We need you, we need your power, we need your presence. We just ask that you would continue to be at work in our church body. God, that we will have faith, that we will trust and that you will give us the endurance to never give up, to never stop, to never quit. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen.